Amen. And it is such a pleasure and an awesome opportunity to be here with you. I've missed you all the last couple of weeks. Had a great family vacation and a good date night uh, with my wife on the beach and uh, enjoyed all those things, but missed uh, this fellowship here with you. And so I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity to continue this series on the portraits of the men of faith, um, which all point to the one unchanging portrait of our eternal God, whose purpose from before the foundation of the world has been to bless all the nations through the heir of promise, that is, Christ Jesus our Lord. And I really loved, um, as we prepare to look at Genesis 25, that we had the opportunity to kind of hear the end of the story from the beginning. We prayed for the nations this morning, and we saw that even in a violent country where there's already uh, a lot of opposition to those who stand up for truth and righteousness, that God is blessing and growing his church, that he has kept his promise to them to praise the name of Christ and lift high his name throughout all generations. And this story today, as we look at, at Jacob, in Genesis 25 and forward, if we look at Jacob's ability to follow Christ faithfully, it becomes a pretty depressing message. But if we look at the God who promised to Jacob to do what he will accomplish in bringing forth the Messiah, it is such a huge encouragement that God will bless and bring about his purposes even through children like Jacob or even through children like us this morning. So, as we remember, we have been looking at God's promise that he gave to Abram in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I'll briefly read to you. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And even though Abram um, lived a long life, eventually he died, but God's covenant did not. He passed it on to his heir, Isaac, Genesis 17, 19b. Um, he says that I will establish my covenant with Isaac, your son, as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And so as we look at Genesis 25, beginning in verse 19, we expect this coming heir of Isaac to continue on that promise that God gave. And we look at him perhaps seeking an example of someone who worshiped and followed God, but instead finding a faithful God who persevered and continued to bring about his purpose and his promise either through his children or perhaps in this case in spite of them. So Genesis 25 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. 
And so we see in Genesis 25 that election is the gift of God. You know, it's not too surprising that my first point today, election is the gift of God, was different words, but Ed's first point last week, where he said, God chooses us. It's the same thing. Same God, different men, different ways and circumstances, same plan, same purpose. Election is the gift of God. God chooses us. But it's good for us to hear the truth of God from different voices. It's good to recognize that God's blessing is a merciful gift. It can't be earned. It can't be bought. It can't be taken. The New Testament unpacks this for us in Romans 9, 4 through 16. Um, And if you're taking notes for additional study as you go home, I'm not going to preach all 14 chapters in their entirety. You might want to read some of this at home as well. Um, Romans 9, 4 through 16. I will also um, consider Romans 5, 15 and Romans 8, 31 through 39. Not all this morning, but study at home. So starting in verse 7, Romans 9. And not all are the children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise as counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I'll return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. So what do we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Election is a merciful gift of God. Not something that we earn, not something that can be bought, and by the same token, not something that we can lose or that can be taken away from us. God elected or chose Jacob and his offspring after him throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant that he will be God to him and to his offspring after him, not because of anything the unborn child had done or even ever would do, but because of God's merciful purpose that he established before all time to bless all nations, like the nation of Columbia we prayed for this morning, and like our nation, through the one heir, that is, Christ Jesus. I think Jacob will demonstrate he's not a very worthy heir, but that we have a very worthy and faithful God who continues his promise even through, or sometimes in spite of, his children. So Ed did a fantastic job uh, taking us through Genesis 26 and 27 last week, so I won't spend as much time, but simply recap, Jacob tried to buy the birthright off his older brother Esau because in that culture, the firstborn got double the inheritance, but also the spiritual and physical responsibility for the family. And in this family, the family of promise, that spiritual authority was huge. It should have been reverenced 
by both of them. But Jacob tried to buy it for cheap with a bowl of lentil stew, and Esau despised it. We think, oh, well, what's the big deal, really? But Hebrews 12, 16 uses that as an example to exhort us not to be unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. But you know, Jacob also misunderstood the nature of his family's blessing, thinking that he could somehow deceive his father into giving him the Abrahamic blessing. But you can't bargain with men for something that belongs to God. Election is a free gift of God. God chose us. And even all of this scheming and ungodliness couldn't stop God from fulfilling his purpose. God used even these sinful circumstances to provide a blessing through the heir of Christ Jesus. Now, if you want to see a sharp contrast to this, we look at the heir himself, that is Christ, where it says in Matthew 20, 28, and also Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see that election is a gift of God. Um, in the next chapter, uh, Genesis 28 and forward, we'll see that calling is also a gift of God. In Genesis 28, it opens with a repentant Isaac, now no longer blessing Jacob out of deceit, but willingly accepting that this is God's heir for his family and blessing him willingly. And he says in verse 4, May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring. But there's still a problem. Jacob's brother has not forgotten. And just as Cain was jealous and sought to murder Abel, now Esau is furious and seeking to murder Jacob. And so the blessing is not what he thought it would be. And at a low point in Jacob's life, he sent out from his family alone to make the journey on foot, 550 miles to Haran, in a sense, reversing the journey that God sent Abraham on. God sent Abram out of Haran to the land of Canaan at 75. Here at age 77, Jacob is sent by his family out of the land of Canaan back to Haran. And we think, well, this is not a promising start. He has no people with him. He has no wealth. He just has this promise of God. This is not a great place to be walking alone in the desert. And yet, God appears. And he opens Jacob's eyes to not look at his physical circumstances, but the mighty God at work all around him. And so let's read in Genesis 28. We're going to start in verse 12. He is journeying through this desert on the way to Haran. And in verse 12 of Genesis 28, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you 
wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Joseph awoke, and he was amazed. He thought, wow, I thought I was alone in the desert, and here is God and his angels ascending and descending. This is, in fact, a reversal of Babel. The people there thought that they could somehow build this tower to get to God and build a name for themselves. And here it's revealed that it is God who has come down to earth to be with man. And if you note in your footnotes where it says that, and God stood above it, the Hebrew there also could be translated, and God stood beside him. God is not distant, far away, and removed. He reveals to Jacob he is standing beside him. This is so critical for us that it's not our job to work our way to heaven or to earn the blessing of God, but to receive his promise that he is with us and he will be with us wherever we go. Um, this is not the last time that we see this ladder or could be translated stair. Um, Jesus brings it up again in John 1, 49 through 51, and tells us what this ladder or stair really is. In 149, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You'll see greater things than these. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. The ladder or the stair that Jacob dreamed about was the heir, is Christ Jesus. It is God coming to man to be with him. It is the only way Jacob recognized as the gate of God. It is the only way to be made right with God. But mankind doesn't initiate it. God himself comes to be with man. It's not a place, as Jacob thought. It's a person the Son of Man, an heir to preserve God's eternal purpose, to bless all nations through the one, Christ Jesus. Praise God for revealing his eternal purpose to bless the nations, even if Jacob doesn't really seem to get it. You know, we know he didn't really get what this calling was about as a gift from God because of his response in verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in the way I should go and will give me bread to eat and clothes to wear so I come into my father's house again. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I'll give a full tenth to you. If God does these things that I name, then he will be my God and I'll give him of what I have. You know, that's pretty stark contrast to what God said to Abram, isn't it? Yes, God called Abram to go, but there were no conditions in his promise to bless Abram. He said, I will bless you and make you a great nation, and I will multiply your descendants, and I will be with you. And you know, Jacob, he makes this vow. He sets up a pillar, but he never actually builds that altar on which he was going to give that tenth back to God. He skips that step. And the next time we see him, he has completed his journey, 
And let's see how mindful he is of God and God's blessing and God's ways. Um, we'll read just briefly, 29.1, it'll be on the screen. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Well, as we've been reading through Genesis, we remember going to the east is going away from the blessing of God. So when he comes to his people, the people of the east, should be a warning. He should be careful. These people may not know and follow and worship God fully. And so he meets this beautiful young woman, finds out she is from his relative's house. It, she has lots of wealth with her. And he thinks, hey, the stars are aligning. This is all good. He might even say, hey, this is from God. But unlike Abraham's servant who prayed to the Lord, who waited patiently to see if this was in fact God's choice, Jacob seems to trust the aligning of circumstances rather than the revelation of God. Those of us who are called to follow God should bathe every major life decision, and even the small ones, in prayer. It's so tempting to look at, oh, these circumstances really lined up. That must be God at work. But are we willing to, in faith, trust our God and creator over the circumstances and wait for him? Now, that doesn't mean we have to have a direct vision from God before we make any decision, but we should submit our hearts and minds to him, bathing those decisions in prayer, seeking godly counsel, and having faith that it's not the circumstances, but God that will bless us. Now, it turns out Rachel is not the person to whom the heir is born. But that does not stop God from continuing his purpose. Even when we make mistakes, even when we make big mistakes, that does not prevent God from fulfilling his purpose in creating and using us to bless the nations. We are not in control. God is in control. We should seek his will, but making a wrong step does not remove us from God fulfilling his purpose. He will establish his purpose either through his children or in spite of them. So Jacob here now trusts his own efforts to provide a wife for himself. And he works seven years for this girl, Rachel, until he's deceived by her father and sister and given a different wife instead for whom he works another seven years to get the wife he originally wanted. But God still used this unholy mess to bring about his purpose. And the heir of the promise would come through that sister, through Leah. Now Jacob had vowed that if God did all these things, gave him food and clothing and brought him back to his father's house, then he would worship God, give him a tenth. The next several chapters lay out how God blessed Jacob with all the things he asked for and far, far more. But you know what's missing? There is no altar. There is no worship. There is no giving back to God what he's given to Jacob. It seems that Jacob said with his mouth that he would do this thing to show God he's worthy of this calling, but there's no fruit. There's no change. You see, 
when we find Jacob sweating for material blessings, there's no mention of him seeking to be a blessing to other people or worshiping the Lord. He doesn't even recognize his prosperity is from the Lord, but thinks it's from his cleverness and hard work. And yet, God does bless other people through him. He doesn't even recognize the blessing that he is to his father. You see, when God gives us this free gift of his calling, and that calling is a free gift from God, it comes with God's provision. Most of us know Matthew 6, 31 through 33 pretty well. Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For God knows you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But Jacob's not even aware of how this works. And this is highlighted in chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. We'll put up on the screen, Genesis 30, 1 through 3. God is living, uh, God is with Jacob and he's living in Haran. Jacob's not even aware that his blessing is from God. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who's withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here's my servant Bilhah, go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf. You know, Sarai was barren and Rebekah was barren. One chose this path that Rachel suggests and the other prayed for their wife. And we know the results of both, and so does Jacob. And yet, he chooses the way of the world. He does not pray for his wife. He does not wait faithfully. Instead, he tries to get her off his back any way possible. This is not walking in faith. How could God use a family like this? Because he is God. And he will establish his blessings he will bless us to bless others and make his promise sure either through his children or in spite of them. But you know, the circumstances aligned again here. Um, Rachel finally had her first son at the same time that his 14 years of working for Laban were up. So Jacob decided it, it's time to go back. And so he goes to seek the blessing, but he doesn't seek the blessing of God. He seeks the favor and permission of his ungodly father-in-law who's tricked him all these times. And the result is he is tricked into working another six years laboring for Laban instead of going back to fulfill the promise God had given him. Now, God doesn't abandon him. God continues to provide for him and gives him material things. But there's this power struggle recorded here between Laban and Jacob between Rachel and Leah in his own house, wrestling for who's going to have control over the other instead of submitting themselves in faith to God. And so as we come to Genesis 31 and 32, we've already seen that election is a gift from God, that calling is a gift from God. And here finally we find repentance is a gift from God. In Genesis 31, uh, we'll read the first three verses. Genesis 31, 31, 1. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob's taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he's gained all this wealth. 
And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob has grown a bit over the past 20 years. Now, it may have been more the circumstances of his family and how Laban viewed him that was his first priority. But when God comes to him and calls him again to go back into the land of his fathers, he now seeks to obey in a very Jacob way. When Laban goes out to shear his sheep a couple days journey away, Laban calls his wives and children together and sneaks off with them. Now, Laban is uh, displeased by this, chases after him. Um, It appears he would have taken back all that Jacob um, had, except God breaks into a dream to this ungodly man and says, do and say nothing to Jacob, either good or bad. And so when they meet, There is a tense standoff. Words and accusations fly back and forth between the other, but God preserves their lives. And they come to a truce. Jacob sets up a pillar and swears by God not to cross it to harm Laban. Laban builds a heap to his gods and swears by them that he won't cross it to harm Jacob. Rachel, meanwhile, proves she's trickier than both her husband and father, hiding the family idols. while Jacob pronounces whoever, with whomever the idols are found, they will not live. So there's this truce between them, thanks to the intervention of God. But sadly, Jacob's words prove prophetic in the coming chapters, chapter 35. So Jacob went on his way. And now we come to Genesis 32, He's seeking to return to the land of Canaan, the land of promise. When he exited the land of Canaan the first time, God came to him in his dream. And now when he seeks to go back in, God comes to him again. In 32.1, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Maenaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you. And there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He still trusts himself in many ways. He divides his family into two camps, thinking, well, if Esau attacks one of them, maybe the other half will get away and I can uh, sneak out the back. But here, even in the midst of this scheming, we see something new in Jacob. For the first time, at age 97, After all he's been through, Jacob prays. First time recorded in scripture. He may be a desperate prayer as he fears for his life, but he does pray. And I want you to notice his prayer in 32, beginning at verse 9. 
it seems an honest prayer, and it contains four elements we're going to look at that are worth noting. First of all, verse 9, he prays with an accurate view of who God is, his worthiness. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. He acknowledges the worthiness of who God is. Next verse, he acknowledges his own unworthiness. He accurately sees who he is. Verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. So he prays with an accurate view of the worthiness of God and with an accurate view of his own unworthiness. And now we come to the crux. He prays with an accurate view of his need for God. Verse 11, for the first time, he trusts someone other than himself. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and the, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. And so we see, though he's no pillar of faith, he confesses his real need to God. And now, in the fourth verse of his prayer, he has an accurate view of God's promise as his only hope. Verse 12, But you said, I will surely do you good, and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And so we see this structure. He acknowledges an accurate view of God and his worthiness, an accurate view of himself and his unworthiness, an accurate view of his need and lays it before God, and an accurate view of God's promise that is his only hope and clings to it. There's a lot of similarities here to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, if you want to look at that at home, uh, Matthew 6 um, in 33 there. But this leads us to believe that Jacob is finally now seeking to repent of his scheming and cry out in faith and belief in the promise of God. Now, he doesn't instantly transform into a pillar of faith, but he does seek to make restitution to not just say the words as he did before, but actually take action to repent. He now, instead of just sending words to Esau, he sends many gifts to Esau to show how sorry he is for tricking and taking away the birthright and trying to deceitfully take the blessing. Now he wants to make restoration. But the restoration Jacob needs most is not with man. It's not with Esau, but it's with God. And so God, in a very creative and faithful way, answers Jacob's prayer. And we see his answer. It's very interesting that in verse 24 of chapter 32, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, 
Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. You know, Jacob was pretty good at making vows and making promises as long as it cost him nothing. But when he prayed in repentance and sought to make restoration, God met him in a way that Jacob understood, wrestling and striving. But here Jacob finally, instead of seeking blessing from those around him to scheme or to trick or to earn, he seeks a blessing spiritually from this man that he later comes to realize is God. I need a spiritual, heavenly blessing in my life. And so we see that Jacob has repented and Jacob now seeks to honor God with his life. But discipleship does not come easily. And Genesis 33 and 34, um, there's some really terrible things that happen. But God does answer his prayer to be restored to Esau and for his life to be saved. And instead of going and sending the children and wives first, Jacob now goes first bowing and going before them to Esau, putting his self in the harm's way instead. But just like Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, Jacob is met by Esau running to him and embracing him, weeping and forgiving him. Now, Jacob doesn't reveal God's purpose for him to go back to the promised land. Instead, he makes some excuse to not go back um, with Esau and doesn't tell him the whole truth and instead settles just inside the border of the promised land where some really horrible things happen to his family in verse 34, and his family does some really horrible things, um, using the promise of God as bait to trick people thinking they're going to receive a blessing, and then instead taking life from them. Um, and Jacob doesn't even rebuke them. He just says that you've made me stink among the people. His concern is not for their spiritual heart, because discipleship is a gift from God. But God doesn't give up on Jacob. As he grows, he learns to trust God. He learns to disciple his family. He learns that he is blessed in order to bless. And we won't spend much time there. Um, but in chapters 46 and 49, he learns that not only discipleship is a gift from God, but that blessing and rebuke is a gift from God. Being previously unwilling to rebuke his sons, in Genesis 49, he now prophetically, through God's revelation to him, both blesses and rebukes them. He understands that discipleship must not be contained to himself being sanctified by God, but he is blessed to bless others. And part of that is speaking blessing to them. Part of that is speaking rebuke when they disobey and dishonor God. And so we see the later Jacob is not like the earlier Jacob. After years of struggle, God blesses him. He finally repents. He finally starts to take responsibility for his family. He finally returns to Bethel and to his father's house and worships him. And so, believer, if you're a follower of God, 
who sought to hold true to his promises, I pray that you too will seek the revelation of God in the midst of your circumstances, in your daily life. That God's purposes and his priorities will break through the illusion that your circumstances are what matter. I pray that God will bless and enable you to be a blessing to others. I pray that God will align your heart and your priorities with his own. That you will not seek to get what you can from this world, but seek the strength of God to be a blessing to others. That you'll multiply daily disciples within your oikos, your friends, your family. That you will wrestle with God in prayer until he brings someone to you to disciple or he sends you to them. Will you pray for those who would bless you to be blessed? Will you pray for those who would curse you to find Christ? Will you trust God in faith for an opportunity to multiply and make disciples, understanding that we should be quick to speak blessing, but we should not hold back from rebuking when God calls us to? But if you saw yourself a bit more like Jacob, someone who, who had an experience with God at one time and maybe made a commitment that you need to come and bring your family to church. But, you know, your circumstances haven't changed that much. Your life and priorities kind of seem like they were. Would you be encouraged by this, that God does not wait for you to get your life together, to give you the gift of repentance, to give you the gift of his promise. I pray he enables you to ask for a heart and a mind that loves God, to seek his will and purpose for your life. So please join me as we pray together, thanking him that he blesses us to be a blessing, that he establishes his purposes either through his children or in spite of them. Let's pray. Father God, you are the great and mighty God whose purposes stand forever. You don't choose the most likely or wait for your chosen ones to get it together. God, we, we know we're deeply unworthy of your love, but that doesn't stop you from loving us, blessing us, and blessing others through us. We have a deep need to be forgiven of our sin through the life and, and death of Christ Jesus, your son. We may be wrestling with things today that seek to distract us from you. And so we pray, Lord God, that you will help us instead wrestle with you in prayer until you bring us to the one that we should disciple or send us to them. We know that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you that our salvation does not rest on the obedience of Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Joseph, but you yourself came as a man not to be served but to serve and to give yourself a ransom for many. We praise you that you wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, that you might make us a kingdom, priest to our God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.